Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. If you're following these studies, it may seem like we're belaboring the point of man's creation and creation in general, but it is of necessity. Understanding our beginnings is paramount to understanding our history. Scientists have studied this subject for centuries. From a biblical perspective, it opens up the balance of scripture and gives us a far greater understanding of the why behind the entire biblical account. As mentioned, there are those who wish to say that we have two creations described in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. This, we have seen, is incorrect. In chapter 1, we get the big overall picture. In chapter 2, we get the detailed view. The smartest way to find out about man is to go to the original source and inquire from there for more information. Thus, we go to God's Word and ask, Who are we? We start to look at the information provided, and our eyes fall upon this. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Genesis 2 verse 7. Two things are involved here. God, the omniscient creator, and the dust of the ground. Nothing evil is presented in the formation of man. Dust was used, and dust, you may recall, was found on the dry ground which was created on the third day. Even the dust was seen as being good. So, from the dust of the ground, the frame of man was formed and molded. Then, the breath of God was used to instill life into his formation. You have glory and dirt, the highest of highs and the lowest of low. Here's man. The dust has very little value. Christ told his disciples to shake the dust from their feet if people were not willing to accept them and their message. Stop for a minute and consider this. We all have humble beginnings, every one of us. From dust we are, and to dust we will return. We're all made from common dust. Abraham said, I'm nothing but dust. God reminds King Basha that he, although in the position of king over Israel, was raised up from the dust. Dust is used as a symbol of defeat as well. It's a symbol of mourning. It is mentioned as being a lowly place of repentance. Dust, however, is not evil, though it's not seen as something of great value. That does not indicate that dust is evil. This was not gold dust that God used to create man, though there are some men who think otherwise. God used simple, common dirt, dust of the ground. We're lowly beings, and our only hope for glory is to be visited by the God of grace who made us. Then God breathed into man his own breath, bringing life and vitality to the dust formation he had made. Everything we are and hope to be is strictly found in his desire and not our own. It is God who has made us and not we ourselves. We should learn from this particular moment in creation. We are animated by his will and desire. When we forget this, pride crawls in and lifts up its ugly head in a manner that is totally absurd how can that which has been created make outlandish demands and unbelievable claims as it stands totally dependent upon its creator? One more thing to consider about dust is that it was a way to describe frustration and abasement. The Lord told Satan when he cursed him 
Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now this does not mean that wherever the serpent ate, he would be eating dirt. It was a figure of humiliation and defeat. But Lucifer, who somehow convinced legions of angels who were in heaven, in the very presence of God himself, to follow him in his rebellion, he was not about to go down alone. And that's where man had to look out, but he wasn't ready. Dust? Come on. We're just animated dust balls? Is that the measure of man? Is that all we are? What's the point, then? This is literally the position philosophers have taken and promoted. Life is suffering and absurd, but we're more than that. Read and understand what is said. God breathed into us, that is, into man, the breath of life. There is the glory. That is the high point. We are more than just animated dust balls. We have a soul that God himself has placed within us. We have a spiritual side. Nothing else in all of creation has this. This opens the ability for us to fellowship with God, literally. In the Latin language, the word for breath is spiritus. From this word, we get the word aspire, conspire, inspire, perspire, expire. Every one of these words refers to something we do with our breath. When we aspire to do something, we take a deep breath and try harder. Conspiring to do something, people band together and breathe together, so to speak. Inspiration is when we're taken with an event or action that we're given a new breath of life. I was inspired to continue. We perspire when we breathe through our skin. We sweat out the poisons. We get hot. We work. We sweat. We perspire. And then finally, in the end, we expire. We breathe our last breath and we die. There is no more breath within us. In the New Testament, the word used for breath is pneuma. In the English language, we don't use the letters P-N together that often. But when we do, we have the N sound that dominates. Still, we have the word such as pneumatic or pneumonia, pneuma and pneumatolic. All of these words relate to the use of air or gases. We use pneumatic drills in our work, or we become ill and our breathing is inhibited, and we're diagnosed with pneumonia. Pneumatolysis is the effect that happens when rocks are altered by the pressures of gas being released. Just note that when you see a word that begins with P-N, it has something to do with breath, air, or something gaseous. In the Hebrew, the word translated as breath is ruach. The word actually means the sound of breath. The idea that this presents is remarkable, and it's very picturesque. In Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. But in the Hebrew, the word picture is that of a mighty wind sweeping over the face of the water. The idea of God puffing out his cheeks and blowing life into a man is not an accurate image at all, though that is what is most often pictured. What we can gather from this is that a man has a unique and special relationship with God by virtue of the divine spirit placed within him. God was not as intimately involved with the animals in this respect. We are not on the same level as an animal, as any animal. We are exalted over the animal kingdom. We were created in God's image. God was directly involved in bringing life to the human soul. This is not the case with the animal life. 
And going back to the text, we read in Genesis 1 verse 24, God brought forth living creatures after their kind. It gives no reference to him breathing the breath of life into these animals. They were created living creatures after their kind. They do not possess a divine spirit, but man does. Thus, a man has the ability to relate to the divine. He can love, care, and obey. He can and does excel above the animal kingdom. But sadly, we cannot boast of that today. Shortly after man's arrival, he rebelled, damaging but not eliminating the image of God within him. While he still possesses a semblance of his former glory, he is now thoroughly depraved. He has fallen. His thoughts are evil continually. There is no part of his being that has not been contaminated. He can do nothing acceptable to God. He cannot. That is what we are taught in Scripture. He no longer understands the spiritual truths unless the truth is revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 12, There is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all become worthless. There is not one who does good, not even one. By all biblical reckoning, this would place mankind in a position of spiritual death. Desperation would set in and fear would consume him if he truly realized his position. Left alone, he would run for cover. But where would he go? The good thing is this. Man was never left alone. While man cannot and refuses actually to seek God, God comes seeking man. God comes and recreates man in Christ. The old is passed away. In reading of the creation of man, we're amazed at the God behind this and are saddened by the ultimate fall. In our thinking, we must always include, but God. We must always keep that in mind. However, we generally think, I know I'm bad, and I know I'm in trouble, and I know I've done wrong, and I know God is upset, but I. We need to get rid of that sort of thinking. And understand in Ephesians 2, God says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which with he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in Christ, and raised us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are both dust and glory. And in Christ, we are destined for heaven. Now that is a story we have to tell to the nations. And the more we understand, the more we'll be able to grasp and see truly the origins of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something of benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.